Hello, Tri-Deltas, and welcome to another episode of our Let's Talk Tri-Delta podcast. I am one of your hosts, Mindy Tucker, and I have the amazing privilege of interviewing our fantastic sisters and bringing you their stories right here on the podcast. Today, friends, we might get a little bit emotional as we sit down with Amy Chesler from Cal Northridge. Amy is an author, podcaster, advocate, and producer. When you learn about her book, which is called Working for Justice, One Family's Tale of Murder, Betrayal, and Healing, you think it all has to be fiction, but it's real, as she lost her mother to domestic violence two weeks after graduating from college. She is here to talk with us about her incredible journey, how she found solace in her Tridelta sisters, I love that, how she channeled her emotions into a healing book, and ventured into the realm of true crime podcasts. That's a new one for me. Uh, and she emerged as a staunch advocate for families navigating similar challenges. So Amy, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. And I'm glad you said it's going to get emotional because absolutely. I think in the it, when I was just chatting with you guys initially, I was sobbing. So I apologize ahead of time if there are tears, but um that's 16 okay. years later, yeah, the feelings haven't changed. So and we we have to feel the feels. That's part of life. It's it's not all a bed of roses. We have to feel the feels when we have them. And um, so, and I thank you for coming to share it and being willing to do that with us today. I want to start with um your Tri-Delta journey. I know it wasn't a straight path to get to Tri-Delta, and I'd love to hear about how you joined the sisterhood. Um, yeah, you know what? I'm already getting emotional. <laughs> um it, uh, it was a really interesting journey. I went to CSUN, Cal State University in Northridge, which as a very large campus actually is a um, kind of a commuter school, if you will. So to get that, that, you know, experience on campus, you really do have to join a sorority, quote unquote. Um, so that's what I quickly realized when I got to campus. Um, and I rushed in, um, fall, like traditional full, full force rushing. And I actually went Kappa Kappa Gamma. Um, and I was in that house for one week and I quickly realized it was not the home for me. So I, uh, one week into, you know, the, 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 after rushing and, um, kind of after bid week, I, I, I quit, but, um, I waited a whole nother year to rush properly and to fall again. So I could meet all the sisters, um, each time. And after that rush, I just fell deeply in love with Tri-Delta. I also prepped um, Alpha Phi. And I remember battling that night at PREF, um, even though, you know, there were the, the the ties that bound me to Tri-Delta were the relationships, all the women just, whew, I, I, had, I, I found sisterhood almost immediately. Um, and then the other house, you know, of course, it was real fun. And there were other things that were drawing me in. But I remember that night, sitting down to like select it was like an old school computer that was about this thick sitting down to click <laughs> which home I I I chose yeah. and I I panicked I left the room and I called my mom and I I remember saying like mom I'm, I don't know what to do and at that point this will come up later but at that point my mom was not entirely supportive of the sorority experience she had actually gone to the same college as me um she was a hard worker like me and she was just kind of like it might distract you why why do it um and so when i called her she was she listened patiently even though she wasn't the biggest supporter like i said um and she, all she said to me was i think it, it it sounds like you know what you need to do <laughs> and that was her way of giving advice. And I was like, oh, okay. And I walked right back into that room and selected Tri Delta and never looked back and feel 
I'm getting emotional because, um, Charles, you, you mentioned the support when my mom was murdered, but I have had that support undyingly um, since I joined the house and it continues 16 years later too. Some well, of my biggest supporters. you made that choice. Yes, me oh, too. Yeah. Sorry. Um, well, and I know your mom was skeptical at first, but then she mm -hmm. became your biggest supporter in terms of Tri Delta. You want to talk a little bit about how she made that turn? Um, yeah, she, I think for her image, and maybe it was born from when she went to college there, maybe it was born from like the media, but um, she, right. her image of sororities was, it was a party thing. Well, CSUN, you know, I don't know what it's like on other campuses, um, but you know, we were really, really serious about rules and we were really <laughs> rule abiding. It was not, a, you know, we did, I, there was nothing condoned by the house that had to do with that. Um, and it was, I was a really good student. It didn't distract me. Of course, it gave me the gift of being social. And I did, of course, have a great time in the house, but it was much more about the relationships. And my mom quickly saw that. And I remember one of my best friends in the house actually and um, had a hospital stay in the middle of our college um, experience. She had like a mini heart attack almost and the girls rallied around her and we had a pizza party for her to welcome her back out of the hospital. And we had it at my mom's house Aww. and my mom saw everybody. Um, and she was like, wait, you guys can all hang out. It's not like the movies. It's not like, you know, I'm not, to, but like booze and yeah. parties. And I was like, no, this is a sisterhood. And she just fell deeply in love with the house after that and was one of my biggest supporters undyingly in that respect <clears throat> well and clearly wanted the best for you um and saw that you were you had found it in tridelta yeah uh, so you graduate which should be an amazing time in your life um you're heading out into the rest of your life and two weeks after the unimaginable happens um can you share with us a little bit about what happened to your mom and what that time was like for you yeah um you know you mentioned at the top of this that um I lost my mom to domestic violence. It is something that I like to highlight, even if we're going to be br brief with the, the story. I do like to highlight that we had we experienced about a decade of domestic violence beforehand, um, before her murder at the hands of my brother. Um, and in writing my book, I would later find out that 50 percent of American children face sibling abuse in some form at some time in their life. Um, and that's different than rivalry. Um, and my point is, is that this is not something that just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, we, I didn't know what it was and we didn't really have the proper support to name it, identify it and deal with it beforehand. But it was, my mom's murder was a culmination of an immense amount of abuse, physical, environmental, emotional, and mental. Um, and it was escalating in the last few months of my college experience. It definitely was heightening and getting worse. Um, and as I was gaining more independence, you know, there were warning signs. There were a couple attempts at her life beforehand by my brother. I don't know if, you know, he had been in and out of jail in that respect for offenses like that. But my mom never kind of gave up on him and never stopped loving him. And we also weren't getting resources from anywhere else. So um, she kept kind of letting him back in. And that last time, um, September 25th, 2007, she, he would ultimately take her life. Um, something I like to highlight about that day is that that exact day, September 25th, 2007, exactly became National Murder Victims Remembrance Day in all of America. So that day that her life was taken, I became I was joined by all 
um, other murder victims. Um, and I've kind of taken that as a symbol in my mission going forward um, and fuel in my fire. You know, there's murder and then there's like murder at the hand of a family member. So I can't imagine the added emotional. It's so weird you say that. We're actually, I'm part of a project that we're pitching right now. We found a gap in the media and we're pitching a project basically about the, yeah, murder at the hands of a family member. It's called familicide. That is the the term. Um, And matricide is the term that is given to when someone kills their mother specifically. Um, But and the reason why we have terms for them is that it's actually not as rare as you would think. Um, you know, domestic violence rates, we know by looking at statistics that most murders, stalking, um, abuse is is ex- is executed by someone you know, someone you are close to. Um, and in that respect, um, you know, that makes sense to know that the statistics of familicide are not that rare as well. Yeah. So you've alluded to this. How did your Tri-Delta sisters show up for you in that moment in your darkest place? Oh, goodness. Um, I, I It's hard to answer that because they never stopped. <laughs> you know, it, it, yeah. it's been so continuous and so um, perpetual that um, my sorority sisters showed up deeply. Um, the night my mom was murdered, I actually stayed with one of them. Um I, I obviously couldn't, you know, I went home and found her um, dead and it became a crime scene. Um, I, I, so I left, um, I spent the night with one of my sorority sisters um, and in the weeks ensuing, they were just so deeply there for me. Um, in the Jewish religion, we have to bury people quickly. We have, I think, I think it's like within seven days of the death. Right. right. Um, there was a tiny bit of a delay, I believe, because there are processes when a murder happens. Um, but in that whole, you know, time, it's a little fuzzy for me because, again, a major trauma had happened. But I remember consistently sisters always being there for me. I don't think there was a a moment I was alone. Um, I always knew I could call on a sorority sister. My big sis um, is still one of my biggest supporters and all, all so many of my um my pledge sisters were the first people to share about my book to write reviews to <laughs> um to just continuously support me every day um uh, yeah if i anything i post or share because even though they've heard the story for about a decade and a half they're still right there with me yeah we are fierce for each other aren't we oh. You know, we develop those yeah. relationships and just stick together, um, which is. I don't think I've stopped crying. Sorry. <laughs> That's, okay. That's all right. Tears are good. Tears are good. Um, so let's shift a little bit and talk about your writing. Um, you always loved writing and you had some really supportive teachers growing up. Is that right? Yes. Oh, yeah. I've always been a, a major student. Um, and yeah, I, even in Trey Delta, um, I, they quickly realized my first semester in the house, I was also an officer. Um, I was actually alumni um, and collegiate relations um, mm-hmm. officer, which is a really cool uh, experience and position. But um, yeah, I, I I think that I've always really been an academic and a learner and a writer and a storyteller. And um, even the house really fostered that in me as well. I love that. But it actually took you 
16 years to write the book, right? So it was a bit of a process. Talk to us about why you think you took that time and what that process was like of getting to the point where you could really share the story. You know, no one's asked me that yet, um, which is really, and it's a really interesting question that's coming at this time because I've reflected on it a lot lately um, because not, I'm not veering from the the question, but my podcast, I interview a lot of survivors and a lot of survivors say, and a lot of the survivors I I interview do media um, interviews. And a, a lot of them say one of the biggest things they would change about their journey is how quickly they told their story. And that's made me reflect on why it took me so long. I've not done that until (laughs) this year. So thank you for that question. I can finally answer it was the point of that. But um, interesting. Yeah. And they figure out more along the way and it becomes a different story over time. Well, and also I think in their stories, a lot of them, um, they're thrown into telling their story because the media is a tool for a lot of people. A lot of people use their books, their um, interviews, anything to bring awareness to get immediate justice. I, at that time, 2007 was a different time. We didn't have social media like we do have now, right? Um, I wasn't really ready to share my story because I was also in the trenches of the justice system. I didn't receive justice for years. Um, my brother, quote unquote, played the system. He abused the system as he did us. Um, he's really shrewd in that way. Um, so I was navigating that. I was so traumatized doing that. I had no answers in that. And I also, um, I've noticed something about myself, the way I grieve and the way I kind of move along and survive is head down, keep going. And then after a couple of years, I go, what the heck just happened? (laughs) And I think that that part of that was, you know, Right. right after my mom was killed, I, I found a man that I would marry. Um, I had children not that long after that distracts us too, um, deeply. Uh, I also went into a different career. I was a teacher for a bit at the high school that I went to speaking to those teachers that really support me. They gave me a place to be after my mom's murder, um, professionally. And, um, it just took me some time to sift through all that. I think I needed to get a divorce, no joke, (laughs) to be able to tell my story. My, my ex-husband was not entirely supportive of my being open about my experiences, but in my journey, and as I shared it more and more, I realized I needed to share these facets of the justice system that had holes that needed to be fixed so other victims wouldn't go through the same same experiences um so yeah I think there were just so many layers of that grief and think about it like you graduate from college that in itself and starting your life is a huge life change and then you put this on top of it I can't even (laughs) I mean that's a lot you yeah about the decisions you were making the things you were doing that is a lot in the midst of all that so that makes perfect sense to me yeah what do you hope people come away with from the book after they read it? Um, I really hope that, well, first of all, <laughs> I like to mention it is a true crime memoir. So this is not your traditional true crime book where you're going to get it read like or written like a detective writing it. You know, um, this is my journey. I don't honestly share too much of my brother's journey because it's not mine to write about, you know, in that sense. Um, So knowing that, I really do hope people take away, um, like I said, 50% of children in America face sibling abuse. 
um, in some facet. So I do want people to read my story and know that it is representative, the kind of the worst, most polarized side of a tale that's too, that's kind of old as time, you know, that, that doesn't, that is perhaps very extreme, but also applies to so many other people. Um, and I, I, that awareness is the first step to change, I think. And so I really do hope my book is working for justice. It's not just for myself. I do want everyone to receive ultimate justice. And hopefully as we tell these stories and the awareness comes that justice can be swifter and swifter and swifter, um, in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so too. Um, so this has catapulted you into the true crime space. You brought up true crime. Um, you majored in psychology. Uh, at one point you wanted to be an FBI profiler. And now here you are with these two true crime podcasts. One of them's called what came next. And the other one is something was wrong. Um, can you talk about your passion there and sort of how that came about and what the mission of those two podcasts is? Well, yeah, um, to be clear, something was wrong is not my podcast. I do okay. work on it. Um, I am a producer on something was wrong. I also, my story was highlighted on something was wrong season seven as well. It is my best friend's podcast. She is amazing, but she launched that show all by herself five years ago to in, in two days, it'll be five years. And oh, that wow. is, um, she has reached so many people with her show. That show is incredible. And it does kind of highlight the fact that, you know, my story was on it um, was perfect because it highlights the snowball snowballing and cyclical kind of unfolding of an abusive relationship. Mm. Um, after doing my show or after doing my season with her, um, I was impelled and moved so deeply by her work and her, and her methods that I pitched a show to her <laughs> what came next, uh, which is the podcast that we, we created together. Um, and it, you know, it kind of evolved over time, but, um, uh, it's been a wild ride to enter that space. Again, it actually took me 16 years to be able to consume true crime stories. And that's why when I saw and started consuming these stories, because I was a quote unquote fan of the genre um, many moons ago, my mom and I, we we did consume true crime. Um, and I, I think that when I was able to kind of take it back in, um, I saw the holes. I saw the misrepresentation of victimhood and survivorship. I saw that a lot of these shows focused on completely the wrong thing. Like there are shows about called like how to be a mafia boss, things like that, where it's like, no, we don't want to perpetuate this. Right. <laughs> you know, Why do we um, want to become that. We don't want to become that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what I learned in psychology and what I learned in college and what I learned in my storytelling and in my sorority, our words are important and the way we tell stories are important. And if we end on that and always focus on that, we're doing a detriment to society. So with what came next, we're hoping to tell, you know, kind of the sort of the the other side of some of these very notorious crimes throughout history, this, the side of the victim, as well as maybe perhaps really um commonplace crimes and the side you know the viewpoint of the the victim um and it's been really fascinating like I mentioned before just to even it, it's almost like I'm creating a sorority and a fraternity with my guests because it's a really small tight-knit group of people that are incredible and I just feel a deep sisterhood and brotherhood to met to, to all of them really I love that um 
just that idea of community and how it builds around things like this. Um, so, well, you, oh, sorry. Just, no, to, just to speak to community, that is the one thing when I always ask my guests, like what carried you through? Because what might work for one person might not work for the other. And I like to share everybody's options because what you never know what will touch you. Um, and most people will say that community saved them. And so I just think that's, that's another goal is just to share these stories in a way that even if the, for the people that aren't sharers and the people that can't put themselves out there, there's so many people still going through massive trauma and different variations and levels and, you know, gradients of trauma that I think it's so important to share these stories. I'm sorry, go on. <laughs> I know that's, I think that's important. So your Tridelta community, we know it's for a lifetime. Um, we tell that to women in college and they sort of look at you like, what does that mean? Um, but what is, what does it actually look like for you today? Are you still, mm -hmm. you, you alluded to this earlier that it's been continual since this happened or since you were in college. You know, what Tridelta and sisterhood and community looks like for me today is still, um, I think I talk to a sister probably every single day, um, a different sister perhaps, and some more than others. Again, they're some of my biggest supporters. I will be honest, my one of my most pivotal episodes of my podcast, most recently, I highlighted the sister of one of my sisters, her father, you know, her half sister, her, her father was murdered. So they're even part of my community, you know, um, to, to know that that and it was a very careful or, you know, delicate story because it had been told without their consent before. So to, for them to have me help them tell it was really, really impactful. So even to know that my sorority sisters come to me with, um, with their, you know, they, I, I, it is a sisterhood in the sense that like, they're not just there for me, they're allowing me to be there for them. And it is true, true community. Yeah. That's beautiful. So what's next for you? We hear there might be a new book coming that may um, be different from the first book. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think there are probably some things I don't even know yet that are coming. I'm hoping. <laughs> um, so there's always something happening. There's always um, something kind of some brainchild forming into a new project, but um, I am working on a new book. It is a lot different than the first book. Um, I am a deeply I am um, a, a fully fleshed human, I like to say. So yes, although my first book was a true crime memoir, the next one uh, will likely be an erotic memoir because um, again, I'm human. I have so many different variations and, and, and paths in my journey. And my divorce was really pivotal in my healing. Um, and dating after my divorce was really healing and, or was really pivotal in my healing. So um, I think there's a book there that I've I've already started kind of forming and pitching um, and um, perhaps, you know, I'm sharing more stories of, um, you know, my podcast, what came next. Um, and then, you know, there are other projects in the works in the true crime space as well for me um, that I can't really talk about yet, but I'm just so excited about. Yeah. Um, and I know it sounds sad to say, or a little mismatched to say, I'm excited about projects in true crime, but I'm excited about the fact that I'm being given this platform to advocate for more people. So, well, I know I want to make sure people know where to find you. So, oh, you. Instagram, Twitter, 
Yeah. Um, all the places to buy the book, where's your podcast, all the things. If you want to share a little bit about that for our listeners. Yeah. Um, thank you. Uh, you can find me anywhere on um, virtually anywhere on social media at Amy B. Chesler. That's A-M-Y-B as in boy, C-H-E-S-L-E-R. Um, there are a couple platforms where it's not me and it's actually a catfish. So I, <laughs> you might want to check, but, um, no, definitely mostly like Instagram, um, and Facebook. You can find me there. Um, and I, my podcast is available on what came next, um, on all platforms. Um, you can hear more of my story specifically on season seven on, of Tif- on Tiffany Reese's podcast, something was wrong. Um, and uh, my book can be found anywhere books are sold. It's called Working for Justice, as you mentioned. Um, yeah, I I am just really excited about all the things unfolding and um, this continued support from Tri-Delta. Thank you. I, you know, I didn't mention in my pre-interview and I thought about it and it's coming up and I know, you know, it's not at the right time or whatever, but I also okay. have a Tri-Delta tattoo. <laughs> I love it. I love um, it. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm covered in them now. Um, uh, I got it actually, I got it inspired by, and I suppose this can be kind of, oh, he's cutting in my wall. I hope that doesn't, it's I'm all sure you good. Can hear. It's um, post COVID. No one cares what goes on in your house while you do a podcast. It's all good. I totally told him though I was recording, but, um, I, in the week's of course, a great time too. I was really excited about sharing this, but in the weeks following my mom's murder and the months, I was inspired to get our open motto on my foot, Aspalos Akapomen Alelas. Um, and, uh, you know, cause I thought that I would be with all the love in my life, I would, you know, the steadfast love, I would be strong and stand on my own two feet. So I got it on my foot, but <laughs> okay, well, you have to send us a picture and we'll share yes. Okay, I'll have to get a cute picture. We love Tri Delta tattoos. Like some, Mm. get the most beautiful stuff. Um, I get so many questions on it too, though, because nobody knows what it's Greek, right? So, (laughs) uh, yeah, it's I and it's beautiful. I love it so much, and every time I see it, I think of my sisters and the support they give me and gave me, and um, the gift that, like, the gift of Tri Delta never stops giving. Well, you. have shown that beautifully today. Thank you for sharing your story, for being vulnerable with us. Um, you're such a great model of strength and resilience and um, we dealt to love you. So uh, we wish you the best and we hope you'll keep in touch with us and we'll be watching for all the great things that you're doing. Thanks so much for joining us. No, thank you. Of course, I appreciate the space. And there are so many Tri-Deltas like Amy who inspire and teach us. And if you're aiming for personal and professional growth, you have to explore the lead network. It's a global networking group of Tri-Deltas. We connect with Tri-Delta members worldwide. We gain insights from these amazing women during monthly sessions um, and lots of other Tri-Delta perks and opportunities, but it's only available in the lead network. So I hope you'll join that today if you have not already. Uh, If you have not liked, subscribed, and rated our podcast, go do that now. There are three stars in our crescent, but we love those five-star ratings, so bring them on. Thanks for joining us today, and until next time, Delta love.